Hello and welcome back to Encyclopedia Podcast. In case you're new here, the Encyclopedia Podcast happens twice a month with the aim of providing interesting, psychologically-backed takes and stories on various topics. Whatever you speak about, we speak in length about. And without further ado, let's roll the intro. Psychological day, everyone. Today we'll be bringing you the very first podcast of March with a team of you. I'm Sarah, and I'm Ben. And this episode, we'll be covering the experience of growing up and all the funky things that come with it. First, we'll be going back to one of the very first things associated with youth, childhood, even, but more specifically, imagination. Yeah, imagination. All right. <laughs> so, like. Imagination is something that's really, really interesting to me. I would say, and if you were to examine yourself mentally right now, right, like Sarah, if you were to imagine yourself as a baby right now, baby Sarah, <laughs> and <laughs> <Peter> Sarah, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, and Sarah now, would yeah? you say that your imagination patterns are like different? Uh, I'll say definitely. I mean. I'm much more grown up now. I know what taxes are. <laughs> taxes, man, <laughs> such a grown up thing, huh? I don't uh, even know how to do taxes, man. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I think you can agree that imagination it differs as we grow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, we'll first off start off with what is imagination. You know, there was a SpongeBob episode, I think, where you know they were in the box. I don't know if the listeners know about it. I think Sarah doesn't know about it. <laughs> I do not know but... about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> SpongeBob said, you don't need a TV. I'm paraphrasing. You don't need a TV as long as you have imagination. Wow. Anything is possible. You can imagine anything you want to be. You can be a football player, a pirate, or something along those lines. So imagination is something that brings you to a different realm, so to speak. But mm-hmm. what do the psychologists have to say about it? So there's this guy, his name is Lev Vykotsky. He's a child developmental psychologist. I didn't know about him until I Googled him. <laughs> and he says <laughs> that imagination is a form of human consciousness and that it appears first, of course, in a young child or even a baby. And it is initiated by an action where like um, the action propagates imagination. And like it's, very, it's seen very evidently when it's playtime for the child. Like let's say... Um, Let's take an infant, for example. He's on, imagine this, like he's on a stool, a baby chair. It's lunchtime or he just finished lunchtime and you give him like a rattle. The first thing he does is, pro- or she, I'm just going to say day from now on. <laughs> the first thing they do is to like shake the rattle or to just bite it even. And that is a form of their imagination because they are super new to the world. Stuff like that. They have no experiences on and no gauge of what to do with it. And why am I talking oh. about children first? Because, well... Of course, this is in line with our theme youth and we're going to talk about how we're going to first talk about how imagination differs as a child and as an adult. And so would you say that as we grow older, imagination uh, dwindles or maybe it would even be eliminated from our lives? Mm, Honestly, kind of, yeah. Like like sometimes you'll be like, you like telling a doll about like all the crazy things that's going on, like your stories and stuff. Like, 
And then they just be like, oh, I'm, I'm so old, man. I've got real life things to do. I can't do any of that. And they're like, oh, okay. And you like go in the corner, like cry. Like in your head. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. So we, yeah. we just end up without any time to imagine things. Mm. Yeah. So like as we grow older, imagination is something that is more of like, we use imagination when we are like in the state of like playing or like, like playing board games or like Dungeons and Dragons, for example. That's like, oh, I think yeah. that's the most prime example of imagination in play. There. Even adults do it. So mm. there's a question there in that statement that, you know, is imagination really like, you know, gone as you grow? Or like, is it just in different forms? Yeah. So some say the ability to fantasize is unique to only a child and diminishes as we grow. And, you know, you might agree, you might disagree. But if you look at the perspective of Paul Harris, he's um, another child developmental psychologist from Harvard, and he, he disagrees with it. And he says that human beings, has they have a gift for fantasy. And this shows at a very early age, and it continues to make all sorts of contributions to our intellectual and our emotional life throughout the lifespan. Dang. So, yeah, in that case, I guess you could say that imagination doesn't disappear, doesn't disappear, but rather it, in a way, you know, air quotes, it specializes itself and is incorporated into our thought processes. So, maybe we can look at, or maybe let's look at how imagination varies and develops. So, I did a little, like, typey-typey thing, searchy-searchy thing, so on Google. And I found this guy <laughs> by the name of Michael Tarsig. And he's an anthropologist. And he says that adult's imagination mirrors that of a child and that a child's imagination reflects that of an adult and that it interacts continuously. And when I read it, I was like, uh, what does that mean? So like, apparently, the adult's imagination mirroring a child's imagination is because and like an adult is, their imagination is influenced by how they were, how they imagine things as a child. You know, I guess that makes sense, like, you know, you grow up, then, you know, your it slowly specializes itself and becomes different as you experience the world, right? Yeah. Mm. So, as adults, if you look back at, like, ourselves or even other children, I think, I hope people can share this um, opinion that you are, we're quite fascinated with how the mind of children works. Like, their jokes are, like, super nonsensical. But to them, it probably makes sense. I, I read this joke where the it, it goes a little, like, what do you call a dinosaur without any eyes? And the answer was, shut up. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. Oh my God. But, like, the, the child came up with it, and he probably had something in mind, right? It's so unpredictable. And so, like, it's, in a way, you could say that it's creative. So, some extent of creativity, you could say, is influenced by the unpredictability of each and every one of our child's imagination, the inner child's imagination that we have. And we can see even creativity early on in a child. And we can see it in poetry, for example, like an adult, a poetry made by an adult, oh, sorry, a poem made by an adult and a poem made by a child. So I, I again did some searchy-searchy googly-googlies <laughs> and I found out a website that had poems made by young children. So if you look at it, Let's look at this um, 10-year-old. Okay, this 10-year-old. The, the title of this poem is called Storm. And it mm -hmm. goes like this. It's all just like one lines, like one word per row. It goes like this. Thunder. Crash. Soaking. Fallen. Black. White. Umbrella. Boom. 
howling, wind, cold, muddy, bang, thud, stormy days. So like, <laughs> you mm-hmm. can see how, you can already see how it differs from an adult poem, right? And there are actually people in university that study children's poetry and they're super anxious because, not because they are scared they won't be able to understand it, but they're scared they won't be able to decipher any underlying meanings. And taking mm. what has already been said, I think it's kind of obvious that there is no underlying meaning. It's just there. And that doesn't mean that it's any less of a poem. Um, some lecturers in the universities that study this, they say that a child, a ch- children's poetry is more of an emotional experience rather than you know, something to think about. It is reflective of how they experience the world because they are transitioning from experiencing the environment to experiencing like the language that they are speaking in terms of poetry, lah. Like the their poetry is their poems are more centered on the environment and how they experience things. And case in point, this storm thing, and it slowly specializes itself as they grow older. And if we move on to a slightly older kid, and his poem is called "Life Without Love Is Barely Living." Ooh, it's deeper, isn't it? But the yes. content of the poem is kind of, it's like it's not related at all it's just like 30 words it's like spells school suffering snake slytherin seven sacrifice there's a lot of harry potter references in there and then like after like at the end the last six words are it's all a legendary masterpiece so you can see that they're slowly transitioning and specializing their imagination to fit and reflect more of an adult tone so to speak and like, but yet you can still see that there's like child imagination elements in there. Like it's, it doesn't make sense to us in, you know, in accordance to what it's named after. It's named, you know, love, life without love is barely living. Maybe I just, you know, I didn't read Harry Potter, so I don't know anything about it. Maybe it's related, but you know, as it is like this, it does not make sense to me. Like there's no connection. Mm. And so we can already see that children have a more active imagination because they haven't been introduced to the world and you know they don't have any specialized way of thinking but even as adults um our imagination is still there but it's specialized to fit our surroundings like us sarah as psychology psychology students we you know we, we probably have our own strategy of imagination of how we're going to structure our our studies like step one we're going to read journal article step two da, 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 and it's like that for us as adults so in a way, we aren't able to tap into that childhood imagination because it's too unpredictable, which is a result of not experiencing the world yet. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. our primitive state of imagination is like a children's um, children's mind of imagination, I guess. Yeah. And speaking of imagination, like relating it to ourselves, I have this story about imagination where like I was in Sarawak and I was looking at my shadow in the bedroom uh-huh. and... You know, I don't know whether it's imagination or what, but this is a testament to a child's imagination. Because I looked up and I remember my shadow looking down. And I looked down oh my God. and my shadow looked up. I was like, whoa, what is <laughs> happening, man? Then I called my dad to look at it and then like, it, it went back to normal. I could be remembering it wrong, but like that's again a testament to a, ch- a child's imagination. What about you, Sarah? Like, do you have any stories that you know are about imagination as a child? Oh my God. I, I don't think anything is like creative as yours. Like I feel like my childlike imagination was like squashed at a pretty early age because like um you know like how okay I've been told that apparently this is not a very common thing but like you know how people like celebrate like Santa Claus and then they hide teeth under their 
pillows of Tooth Fairy. I don't think people really do that, dear. But like, but like, you know, I went to my dad at a young age and I was like, Dad, let's believe in Santa Claus. Let's hang up socks and let's put <laughs> stuff in them. And then my dad was like, well, Sarah, I don't think that's a, pos- that's a possible thing to do, you know. Have you heard about capitalism? Do you know how capitalism works? Why are you wasting time on this when you could be potentially jobless in the future? You could starve in the streets. <laughs> you could not what? have a job. Do you realize that the, the, the economy of this world is slowly shifting to a data science and analytics and AI? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I was like, my eight-year-old self was like, my eight-year-old self was like, oh my god. Oh my what? goodness. You're so yeah. young. Man, I know. I question I'm so your dad's slow. choices, man. Yeah, and then like I cried because I was like so terrified by like the idea that I might not you know have a job in the future, mm-hmm. uh you know and I have not not have any money and a home and you know love is fake, etc <laughs> etc. Et so then like you know my dad felt bad. He was like he's like oh no I made a kid cry and then his conscience told him reassure the child. So he said <laughs> to me, well, Sarah, I guess you can believe in Santa Claus, but. Only we don't fall for capitalism, okay? Don't buy anything during Christmas. Don't fall for capitalism. And yeah, <laughs> after that, like, I started seeing ca- imagination as, like, a really scary thing to have because, you know, if you if you dare to, like, if you had, like, a childish, like, active imagination, like, if you believe in, like, crazy things, my dad will come along and then you'll talk about capitalism. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. But like as I grew up, I stopped seeing like imagination as such a scary thing, and I learned to just, you know, like just be free, just go with mm-hmm. the flow. And now that you've said like all these things to me, and now that I've like taken them to my brain and like absorbed them to my soul, uh, I think that honestly, yeah, it's like a part of what you said, right? Like I found my feet, and then I fell into a pattern of thinking. One that mm. perceived the world in a more rational way that wasn't just capitalism bad, joblessness bad, homelessness bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think my relationships definitely improved for it. I like my friends see me as much more chill now. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Speaking of relationships, That's That's like friendships as we grow up tend to be different and not just because you stop being scared of capitalism. Uh, <laughs> like research shows that high school f- friendship groups tend to provide a place to belong outside a family a place where you can seek comfort and validation and experiment with new identities and values and it's a place where you can develop your social skills with interactive people at the same age and a place where you more or less go through the same thing together especially regarding things like homework and school which your siblings <laughs> and parents probably don't go through yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but on the other hand university friendship groups are much more on the side of giving you a cushion to fall back upon during the stressful stress of university <laughs> stressful, stress. <laughs> stressful stress that's that's just how I describe university you know it's so busy mm, but yeah. <laughs> yeah like high school friendships they they give you a place to belong as well um, mm. but they also give you like more motivation to attend class and read the course material so you can discuss it with your friends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah my motivation. And, <laughs> yeah, don't tell anyone. <laughs> Hanging out with friends in university. 
<laughs> like it can really help your study habits. I think mm-hmm. whether it's because of like study groups or just because like, you know, you want to be organized like your friends. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also worth noting that like this experience is universal. It's just what my off-camera Googling has shown me. <laughs> yeah. Like there are friendship groups that push you towards academics and there are friendship groups that have other priorities. And that's all right. Like I'm not judging here. This is, I'm too small of a person to judge the world. And, yeah, <laughs> and in besides, like in high school, I was much more focused on having fun and doing dumb things like trying to skip, you know, school speeches and attracting the wrath of my art teacher. But yeah, <laughs> those were stupid times. Okay, <laughs> mm. yeah. But university was where I met friends who are like really dedicated to studying the course material, which I guess, like when I think about it, it makes sense because. University is where you really start pursuing the education that you're passionate about. So, of course, you would buckle down and get to the grind. But my friend's dedication to, like, totally achieve high marks in every single subject kind of, like, rubbed off on me. And I started developing better study habits without even realizing it. So, yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah, I can, I, I can vibe with that for sure. Like, in college... <laughs> I would say college was also, like, my peak. Or not peak, but it was, like, a pivotal moment where, like, I, I hung out with the, my college friends basically their aura of studying was Whoa. rubbed off on me as well and like that caused me to have this sort of change in the way I do my work in the way I manage my time and although now it's different it's not as good as I want it to be but still I'm very thankful for you know my college friends they I definitely agree with what you said it improves you know my student well-being and increases learning opportunities even now even though we are in different universities, but still close. And I can still, like, you know, have a conversation with them and talk about how we study back and forth, aside from all the <laughs> all the casual things we talk about. Like, uh-huh. we exchange information about how we study and we incorporate each other's um, opinions on how they study and their preference mm. for studying and helps me to build a new and better study groove, in a way. Yeah, life mm. is just full of experiences just waiting to happen, you know? Mm. And those experiences, you know, include things that we are interested about. You know, being in college, being in university. And one of the questions that, you know, as I was thinking about what else, as we were thinking about what else that we can put into this podcast, and really discussed about talking about changing interests and what is the psychology behind that. And like, when I first heard about it, I thought it would be something fairly simple. But turns out, I did again, you know, some googly googly things. And there's this theory <laughs> called... The eudaimonistic, eudaimonistic, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Dr. Eugene, if you're listening, please correct me. (laughs) Eudaimonistic (laughs) identity theory. Yeah, eudaimonistic identity theory that's grounded in, of course, the term eudaimonia that was coined by Aristotle. And it is also, this theory is also grounded in other personality theories that Mm -hmm. was uh, proposed by Eric Erickson, Abraham Maslow, and another psychologist that I just found out about. His name is Rollo May interesting yeah so this this theory says that um like our interests uh is it accompanies our experiences towards activities like um let's say i like like i like i identify with uh, music a lot like i like playing music and how this came about how this became my interest that i define that is self-defining that defines myself is (laughs) The fact that whenever I um, 
did anything related to music, there was a lot of positive um, experiences that that came from that. So it's kind of like conditioning, but not really. In the, it's more like conditioning in a sense where there's a stimulus, then after the stimulus, there is a positive outcome or a positive reward oh. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like this theory states that for an activity to be self-defining, which is something that you identify with, blah, it is some. It has to be paired with one, two, or all of these three things, and these three things are interests, flow, and feelings of personal expressiveness. And there was an emphasis on personal expressiveness because if you can express yourself in that activity, then that activity becomes what makes you feel at home. Makes sense, right? Is it? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So like, if you look at it, these three things interest flow and personal expressiveness it's all like intrinsic stuff mm-hmm. so these things intrinsic stuff is what makes um the activity a self-defining activity because it sticks with you so in contrast if an activity is paired with like extrinsic positive experiences like maybe rewards like um, good grades or money or that you know someone else is doing it that you adore so you want to do it too those things are also considered interests, but typically it's short-lived interests. Like, um, you know, like some people go through this goth phase when they're in the teen, when they're a teen, or some people go through this emo phase and they, and then phrases like, <laughs> mom is just a phase, you know? Oh, wait, no, it's not just a phase, mom. <laughs> like those kind of phrases yeah. that, that certainly come out. Yeah, those are, can be attributed to short-lived interests that were due to, you know, extrinsic motivations like, um, Maybe it was the in thing and other people were doing it so he wanted to fit in. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. again, when it comes to interests about yourself, that, sorry, when it comes to activities that makes you interested and that you can define yourself by, it is mm-hmm. due to feelings of interest, flow, and personal expressiveness. Oh, wow. Personal yeah. expressiveness. Yeah. And so, Sarah, can you think of like things that you were interested in in the past that you aren't interested in now or or, or rather like um, things that you're interested in now but you weren't interested in in the past? Oh, um, hmm. interest in the past that's interesting. Um, yeah, honestly, like I think most of my hobbies back then in my childhood were like definitely like extrinsically motivated according to your, to your definitions. Like, um... I'll practice stuff like arts and crafts, like drawing and sculpting things for my friends, just so I could like, you know, literally make things for my friends and then I'll show it to them. And then they'll be like, oh my God, Sarah, you made something for me. Thank you so much. And then I'll get like instant <laughs> serotonin from them. I'm like, oh my God, yes. And yeah, that's that's kind of like a reward, right? Seeing my friends happy. So yeah. 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 And I also play like the piano and the violin and the guitar and sing also. Just so I can pass the... Yeah, my God. Uh, also, I was so multi-talented. <laughs> Except not really, because it's just, yeah. I literally just like walk in the, into the room and my teacher be like, so, these are the three pieces we are learning today. These are all the skills. And I'm like, oh God. So yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no offense that people actually do enjoy like all those things. Like, like I know you play the piano and yeah. Um, yeah, but mm-hmm. like when I look back at it, I was definitely doing it so that I could pass the exams and you know like make my mom happy. So yeah, yeah. all those things ended up being re- very short lived hobbies, and 
yeah, now I, now I have like hobbies like playing Minecraft. Um, <laughs> Ooh, Minecraft. Yeah, Minecraft. yeah, I like Minecraft too. Yeah, and mm. I think Minecraft is definitely like intrinsically motivated mm-hmm. because like I I generally do enjoy like the process of Minecraft. Yeah, mm. it's it's blocks, you know. I like blocks. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Since since we're on the topic of like things that we did last time, like, do you have any regrets about the past? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> my regrets about the past. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Or like question. maybe, do you miss your youth? Or like, are there things that you would do again differently? You know, the typical question that we will ask at slumber parties. Oh my god, I <laughs> I do not think you ask at slumber parties. Do you like? <laughs> <laughs> Typically, it's like, who's your crush? Who do you mm-hmm. find hot? Uh, uh, my gosh, yeah, okay, deep question. Do I have any regrets? Um, I think, yeah, my regrets is like related to my hobbies a bit. Like, I, I really regret like uh spending time on it for like other people's happiness, like, not my friends. Lah. Um, I, I do like seeing my friends happy, like, yeah, uh, but. Yeah, like I felt, I feel like sometimes I spend like too much time on, on, on like my doing stuff for my friends rather than like being there for my friends. And I look back at them now and I think mm. like, oh my God, Sarah, little Sarah, you could have done a much better job. But mm, yeah, but like I didn't, but then I realized that I didn't really have the experience and knowledge then that I do now about those things like I didn't I didn't have you know foresight I didn't have the ability to see the future and hindsight is 20 <laughs> 21 <laughs> okay that's a bad job I'm so sorry <laughs> yeah that, that's like one whole year late so yeah so yeah I try not to beat myself up about what how I did in the past with my friendships and mm, yeah um yeah, and I also look back and like how immature I used to be sometimes and like I want to make fun of myself. Like what what were you thinking, man? When you tried to climb the fence, what were you thinking? You knew it was gonna fail. The fence was like ten feet tall. But like <laughs> at the same time, like I wish I've done like more of it. Like been mm-hmm. even like crazier and weirder and like you know, just just I don't know, drunk like drunk like ten monsters and just charge off, you know. But yeah. Mm. Because now I've kind of grown up and I don't really have any interesting stories to tell, I think. So, yeah, I wish I'd gotten out more. Like, I spend a lot of my time, like, alone. And I don't think there's anything wrong with actually, like, spending time alone. But I wish I've, like, taken more opportunities and just, like, thrown myself into situations more. Especially now, like, COVID's happening and all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I have a few things that I regret too. But seeing that we are, you know... We are running low on time. Really? Oh. Yeah, we we, <laughs> we sort of got carried oh, no. away with all of our things. I'll just oh, briefly no. skim through. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go, I mean, go, go, go. like you said, I I played the piano, and like there was a period when I was like younger that I really hated it, and I uh-huh. just didn't want to do anything. I just like didn't practice, and I just got a bare minimum. But you know, my mom forced me to, and I'm really thankful she did because it's become something that I identify with very very much. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, with that being said, I I, I guess that's it. <laughs> My gosh. Yeah. Aside from getting to know us from our personal stories, me and Sarah, we hope mm-hmm. that 
you've at least been able to digest the psychology behind what makes you the person that you are today. At the same uh-huh. time, perhaps we could you know, start being more mindful of the activities that make us feel at home and develop uh-huh. our best selves and understand that sometimes as we walk this unpredictable path of existing, there will be people that come and go, that change or not change, and Ooh. understand that life is full of circumstances that may change our interests and thus our circle of friends as well. In the end, we are our own person with, yeah, we are our own person. And with what we've discussed today, perhaps we can help others be their own person as well. Mm, Very true. That was very poetic. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So in the meantime, did you know that today is pi day? As in the mathematical constant pi. Oh, Oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> interesting so yeah if you know that somehow uh enjoy pie day thank you for <laughs> listening stay safe and good goodbye. pie <laughs> <laughs> goodbye